Gracious Father, we are your people. You are our God. We give thanks to you. You are worthy of praise and honor. You are sovereign over nations and over your world and over the universe. We ask for your help this morning that your word would just pierce our hearts as it is so faithful to do because it is your word. We ask that our hearts would be tender and, and pliable always. We ask that you would create in us a heart of service as we follow the master, Jesus, who is a servant. We are humbled that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would humble himself as a servant take on flesh and die, how much more should we, the creature, humble ourselves? And so we ask for your help in this area. I pray for, for our people present and also our people who are not here this morning that in our, ignite in our hearts a love for you that, that just flows into serving. We just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Um, you know, just yesterday we had a, a memorial service. You know, my, my wife's aunt had passed away, and I, I called on some of you just to pray for me, and I just want to thank you for praying for me. And um, we had a, had a nice time, and we were able to proclaim the gospel, and I was sharing with another. You know, when, when you do, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've done a, uh, many memorial services, and it's an interesting thing when you, when you do them because you are... You're stepping in to serve people, and you're making some clarifications. Look, you're asking a Christian minister, you know, and I'm going to, like, I'm going to share the, the good news of the gospel. We have this great hope. I want you to know that I'd like to talk about that, and I'm, and I'm going to. just want to make sure you understand where I'm coming from. But yesterday, you know, standing before these people who don't know anything about that, they come, and, and um, their, their, their hearts are, are broken. They've lost someone they care about and they love, and many of the people who were there yesterday, are not believers, uh, decidedly atheistic or, or secular or whatever. And I was taking time to say, hey, look, I, I recognize that when you come to something like this, that uh, this person that passed away uh, was a Christian. And many of you, you know that. And she knew where you were coming from, and she knew that you were not. And you were here because you were you're mourning her death, and you were coming alongside of your of your friends and your family because you love them because they are in deep sorrow right now. And I am asking you to hear me as I, I want to um, make an appeal to you regarding this Jesus who this woman followed. Would you, would you give me that opportunity? And so we had that great opportunity and I call on you guys to pray for me and it was a wonderful time and, uh, among these people and just to bless them and I was struck as I was serving them thinking it's, it's one of these amazing things that can happen as a church in a city uh, when, you're, when you have a, a facility and how you can serve people in the community, you know, because all of life happens. You know, people are born, people, are, people die, and uh, when those things happen, often their hearts are ready and open, possibly, to the good news of the gospel. And what a great opportunity we have with those life moments. And so as I reflected on that yesterday, I wanted to encourage um, 
you all um, who walk by faith with Jesus to pay close attention to those moments in life where there is low-hanging fruit, where people are already. As we want to be a people on mission in the city with the gospel, pay close attention to those relationships that God would bring you in to, that he would open those doors and those pathways and there'd be that low-hanging fruit and, and who knows what God would do. So I wanted to just encourage you with that. Today we are actually going to take um, um, a Sunday off of Galatians and it was pressed on my heart as I have just been reading scripture and meditating um, and spending time with the Lord to talk about serving, to talk about what it means to serve the Lord. We have um, been going through Galatians, and man, it is just, uh, it is incredibly powerful. All of scripture is powerful and amazing. But as I was just thinking and praying, I, I, I came, I was, I'd just been praying for the church and and looking at those things that we need next, could someone in the back close those back doors, please? And then we might close those windows as well. And it's, 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 back, it's the doors to the, to the building. Yeah, just, we want to close the doors to the, and we can open the fire so they'll be fine. Thanks so much, guys. I love the praises of Jesus, but it's a little difficult when you're, when you're trying to speak. Thanks, guys. Uh, and if it feels the slightest bit warm, we'll, we'll, let's, we'll turn on the air, air conditioning as well. But I wanted to take time to talk about um, what it means to serve. Because I know that, that in our church, we actually, we have people, and I'm so grateful for, for uh, those of you, so many, that have, I'm just, as I look at you, have, that have just stepped up to serve in amazing ways. And just, you have given your time and your talent and your treasure. Um, and uh, we've been uh, really getting the, the, the soil ready for people. And, and we, we could not do that without your help. And so I, I'm just so grateful for you. I mean, I, I'm looking in a room of people just step up. You know, Cameron volunteers to lead music. You know, he volunteers, you know, all the way across the board. Um, you know, Willie has come. I, I'm just, I shouldn't, you shouldn't be calling because everyone's just, I mean, like, mo- people have mowed lawns and pulled weeds and given money and painted. Those of you who, that are not vocation, vocationally painters nor maybe ever have, have painted this very building. And you've served. And we have an amazing model in our Lord who came to serve. Why should the God of the universe come and serve the creatures that he made? And yet he does. And therefore, we are called as his people to walk with him in this way and serve. If you'll turn to the book of Acts in starting in chapter 6, I'm going to give a little bit of a 10,000-foot view of chapter 6 and 7. We're going to highlight some things of what it means and what it looks like to be a servant. I'm going to deal with the issue of why the church had called these particular servants to do the things that they had done. So I want you to understand what, um, 
what role it has in the church and how important it is, how significant. I want to lift it up. It is so huge. Even though in the eyes of our world, a servant is low, and yet in the eye and the mind of God, it is high. Did you know that? If you want to be great, you serve. It is counterintuitive to culture and the way we think because we typically put ourselves forward first. In the book of Acts, one of the things that happens is the church is experiencing um, some, some, some growth. The gospel is doing its work, and it is saving people, and the church is growing rather rapidly. And you have these, these men who are set aside to uh, proclaim the gospel and spend time in prayer and do the, that type of work. And then there are all these other physical needs that, go, that take place around them. Now, one of the reasons there are these uh, physical needs that, that are going on around them is because you always have the poor with you. Um, and then also that um, there is really uh, not a separation between the physical and the spiritual world. That physical needs are as important. In fact, wasn't our Lord raised with a physical body? He's called the first fruits. And that one day that our bodies somehow miraculously be reunited, made perfect, and it's, it's a physical world that God's creating. We were made for that. But, but what was going on in the early church is you would have people that would get saved, and let's just say they were married to someone who was a, a priest, or they were very involved with a, with a Jewish culture, and they come to faith in Jesus, and their retirement plan goes out the window when they get saved. Everything that they have done or worked for has been undone. And now you have people that literally have physical needs because it is just gone and they are ostracized from family and from the welfare of their community because they don't want those Christians tapping into their resources. That's one of the things that would happen. And so what happens is, in chapter 6, verse 1, I'm going to read it, and you're going to see that take place, and you're going to see a need for servants to arise and be appointed. It says, now in the days uh, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, these are Christians, right? Because, I mean, there's ethnic differences and language and all those different things, um, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So you have these physical needs going on where people are in, are, have, have, have a need, and these widows in particular in a society where they were really dependent on these men, um, and then when they're removed for some reason, maybe they get saved or they die and they have no access to, to the help. Now within the church... The church is responding by trying to care for them and take care of, to care for them, to care for their needs. And somehow, we don't know the details between the Hellenists and the Jewish Christians, there arose a problem. Where they were, whether they felt like it or it was a reality, it was like all happening. And people are rather upset. And in verse 2, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve t- 
tables. And then they go on to say, therefore, brothers, take out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom, we'll, uh, whom we will appoint to this duty. So, now, one of the first things that I, I just want to observe here that when the apostles, when they get involved with this, it's very fascinating, we don't, and we don't have the whole picture, but they don't really get involved with working out their blame issues. They just kind of, they call it to an end. Because this is that Christianity, to forgive one another. However, they, in order to deal with this, uh, the, uh, the, these leaders, they, they are saying, it would not be right for us neglect, to neglect the preaching of the word and prayer, which is a whole work in of itself to serve tables. And they call them to appoint these people, bring these people forward, and then they are going to lay hands on them and commission them to, to this service. Now, by the way, Keep in mind, this is happening before Paul sets in, in the pastoral epistles, where he sets out an office for the church for deacon and deaconess, okay? He's calling up these servants, and they're going to bring them forward because of, because of those issues that have taken place. And that way, it is serving this leadership in a way that, that, so that those leaders are not neglecting the preaching of the word to wait tables, we are in a season as a church where, um, I mean, it's part of uh, where we are as a church. And when, you know, I, we set out to plant two years ago, and there's, there's certain systems that, uh, that we've been laboring to put in place, and we are facing greater needs for those things. As a pastor and as a church, it's good for the church, for us, to have people that will arise to different serving areas, all right? And they were facing that as the early church, okay? And then they appoint them, and I want you to see the kinds of people they were. Because this is really, this is really important, because what we are going to see is how we should then um, respond and what we should know in order to be these kinds of servants, okay? It says, but we will, we will devote ourselves, in verse 4, do prayer and the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man of full, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and Proselyte, and oh, excuse me, a proselyte. He was actually a, a guy who converted to Judaism, and then he gets saved. Okay, of Antioch. These. These they set before the apostles, and the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them. In the Bible, it, this is often a sign of, of commissioning and blessing. They're giving approval. They put their hands on it. They put their hands on them, and they were before, before all, okay? Full of faith, excuse me. And when they said, what they said in verse 5, pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and, and all these others. And in verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the, the priests became obedient to faith. 
Now, one of the things that we are going to see is we are going to see, we see these guys appointed, and we are going to see Stephen in particular highlighted. Now, I'm going to read portions of it, and what I'm going to draw out is some of the things that we can observe about him, and, I, and these are the types of things that we need to see in people that are servants. On one hand, every single Christian needs to be a servant. On the other hand, there are going to be some servants of servants, and in our church, what we're, what we're doing right now is we are establishing a pathway toward deacons and deaconesses. It's a very specific office in the church. There's elders. We have, three, we have three elders right now, and the deacons and deaconesses are another really important um, place of service, and we want them to be qualified. As we head that direction, what we're starting out is what we're calling them is a team leaders. We will have people that are, that are leading a team, and others can join those particular teams. And I'm going to lay some of those out, and I'm going to kind of tell you the need that we have right now going on in the church. So as, as this, they get commissioned, um, we see something that stands, we see many things that stand out about Stephen in particular. Certainly, he is a godly man. Certainly, he was, he was really thought highly of by the church, among many other things. But he is going to have uh, a pretty bad interaction with uh, the community in which he is uh, serving, and those especially outside of the church, and they are going to seize him, which was not uncommon in the early church. But I want you to see what kind of servant he was. One of the first things that we see is that we see somebody who is um, uh, just full of grace and power. Listen, listen to this, what it says in verse 8. And Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great signs and, and among the people. Some of those who belonged in the synagogue and the free, among the freedmen, as it were called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those in Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. One of the very first things we see about Stephen as a, as, a, as, a, um, as a servant, is that he knew Bible. Because he, he really knew Scripture. In fact, the people that he's, he's uh, debating with or in, an, in a dispute with, they realize that they can't overcome him with his amazing knowledge of the Bible. You see, it says in verse 9, then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, etc., and they're, they're disputing with Stephen, but, in verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, from here, throughout most of the rest of, of chapter 7, he is going to be addressing the history of God's saving act among them. They are going to have this issue. They are going to say, you um, have an issue with the law. We have an issue with you because you're saying the temple will be destroyed. We have an issue with you because you have a problem with our leader who was Moses. And what he's going to do is he is actually going to deconstruct that. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard from him speak blasphemous words, in verse 11, against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy, holy place 
and the law? For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change, change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. One of the other things that we see about him, number two, is that we, not only do we see that he really knows the Bible, and I want to return to that, but it, the other thing we see is that he's incredibly flexible, and the people with he has a dis, which he has a dispute with are incredibly rigid. Hear it one more time in verse 14. He mentions Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. One of the dangers that happens among the people of God and the church is that it can become rigid. And one of my prayers that needs to be, to be ongoing for you and our people is that when, as time goes on, that we would be a people that is not rigid but, rigid, but a people that are flexible with what God is doing. To be flexible, listening to the Holy Spirit, um, able to, to just to flex with what God is doing. I'll never forget, when I was a very young man, I had the great privilege of going on a, on a missions trip um, in a different country. It was South America. And uh, when we were being coached by, uh, it, was, it was with a wrestling team, and we were going with Athletes in Action to go share the gospel with all these people in another country. And when, when we were meeting initially with uh, the guys that were training us and coaching us, not only in wrestling, but uh, they were coaching us on how to do the tasks that we were, we were given to do. So we were going in to to do Bible studies and talk to people and use a sport like wrestling to interact with these people that lived in that country. And one of the guys, I'll never forget the words of, of this guy named Gene Davis. By the way, he was, he was a, um, a bronze medalist in the Olympics. He was totally cheated by the, by the Russians, by the way. He should have been a gold medalist, but they, he pinned him like 20 times in the finals, but they wouldn't give it to him because he was American. It was very obvious. If we had the technology we have today, it would have been over. But in that day, he ended up losing. So, um, so, all that to say, he, I'll never forget what he said to us. He's, he's looking at us and he says, guys, he says, guys, you need to know this. You are going as, as missionaries into this, this foreign land, and you have to first and foremost be, well, of course, Christians who submit to God's word. But you need to be flexible. And if you are not flexible, you are going to have a terrible time. But if you are wired to be flexible and if you will yield and be flexible, you are going to have a great time and God will use you mightily. But if you do not, not, you are going to have a hard time. I will never forget how important it was that we would be flexible. Because when we got there, and this happens in life, doesn't it? We got there, tournaments change. The weather changes. The bus breaks down, and you're seven miles out. You get sick, and you have things coming out of your body from here and everywhere else, and you lose 15 pounds, and yet you still have to work out and exercise and train, and you still have to compete, and it doesn't matter how sick you are, you need to compete, because this is the way in which we are reaching this place, and by the way, the whole team's going to be sick, because you're in a foreign land, but this is the work, this is the cost to bring the gospel to these people, and you have to flex with that. That was our task, and guess what? We got sick from here and from here. 
and we were down 15 pounds. You know, the 103-pounder became a 72-pounder, you know, and on and on and on, all the way up. Flexibility is so important for the church. And when the church becomes inflexible, it runs into difficult problems. Imagine that, right? They are saying to him, he is going to change the customs that Moses had delivered. And yet they totally misunderstood the Bible. You see, they idolized Moses, and they idealized their history. They thought their history was amazing, and it wasn't. It wasn't amazing. They were denying God constantly. Here's one other thing that we noticed. Not only did, was he flexible, not only does, does, does he need to be flexible, and the church needs to be flexible, not only did he know Bible, but, um, but number three, we need to submit to the truth of Scripture and to embrace godly leadership. I want you to turn to um, 7, 30, 39 or so. I'm going I'm to start in 35. And it says, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and judge? He's, he, he is giving a speech telling them what they did, right? They're idealizing their history. They think it's really great. You know, we love Moses. And then he tells them, oh, no, you didn't. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for, uh, up for you a prophet like me from the brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us as for this Moses who, who led us out from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And they made a, they made a calf in those days, and they offered sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands, but God turned away turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Do you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of our, your God, Rephan, and the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. You see, they, they idolized Moses, and yet they rejected him. And what I'm saying, what I'm seeing is if we want to be the kind of servants that God wants us to be, like to be like a, a Stephen, who's a total rock star, I know, but he is the kind of guy submitting to the truth of the scriptures and, and embracing godly leadership, and the people that he's opposing are the opposite. They do not embrace the truth of scriptures. They do not embrace godly leadership. In fact, they rejected it. If we are going to be the kind of servants that God will use, then we need to be the kind of servants that are going to submit to the truth of scriptures and embrace godly leadership. Number four, one of the other things that, that we need to do in order to be these kinds of servants is that we, have, we need to be the kind of people 
that will be humble. 751. This is what the Word of God calls the people that Stephen is talking to. He says this. He calls them stiff-necked. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, he says. They are stiff-necked. They're, they're just, just hard and angry. They resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did, you not, did, did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it, is what he says. We need to be, if we're going to be servants, we need to be the kind of servants that will be humble and not stiff-necked. And there is such a need for it. I mean, look how it starts. The way, the way that these servants, these servants come out of a situation where there is an issue among people. If we are going to serve other people, we have to be humble because people can be really messy. People can be frustrated. Even the godliest of Christians can be difficult at times. And these people have to be humble enough to take it on the chin at times and to serve through that. I mean, can you imagine? Can you, if, can you, they're coming out of this situation where they have physical need. You guys realize that when, when people are squeezed, when people are squeezed, whether it's grief or it's their finances or it's their relationships, the real them comes out or the real you comes out, Right? We know that one of the greatest tests of that is when we have little children and you're driving down the road and your child is one or two years old and they're screaming their heads off because they're being childish and you're driving in the car and you're losing your mind and you're thinking, I just want to yell. So we have to be humble. We have to be flexible. We have to know Bible. We have to submit to the truth of Scripture. We need to embrace godly leadership, which the people of God rejected over and over and over again. We have to be humble. And, um, and lastly, one of the things that we need to, we need to be as, as, uh, as servants is that we have to be willing and ready to forgive. This is a 20,000-foot view of this whole narrative, but it's an amazing narrative. And it ends with him being stoned to death by his accusers. And the way it ends, starting in verse 59, is that it ends like this. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Servants say things like, Lord, don't hold this against them. They're not embittered or angry toward them. They say, Lord, don't hold this against them. That's the kind of servant I want to be. Servants give up their lives. Servants forgive. If we're going to be the kind of servants that God will utilize, these are the types of things that I see. And there's many more, but these are some things that shine 
pretty brightly in the narrative of Stephen and his interaction with his accusers. Probably shortly after he is uh, commissioned. This guy is flexible. He knows his Bible. When he goes to, he gives them a better history than they know themselves. Because they misunderstand it, and he actually understands it. He's like, yeah, you think you like Moses and the law. You reject the law. You idolize Moses, but you threw him out. Come on. You stiff-necked people. And he was a man full of spirit. So when he said those things, it's not like he was being vindictive or mean. But he was speaking truth to them. And somehow in the midst of that, lovingly, wrestle with that. I want to highlight the type of needs that we have because I want us to develop a culture of the kind of servants that we need. And I will say this, I am so grateful that for the people that we have in our church that have arisen and taken areas of ministry, have just, I mean, there are, there are people in this room and who are miles ahead of me in uh, their capacity for, for, for leadership and just skill, and yet they have humbled themselves and are making bread. And I'm grateful for that, because God will use you. So let me, I want us to be aware of the types of things that we have and so that you will know how to pray for these things as we gather and mobilize people into these different structures. I want you to be aware of this, that uh, we have a ministry to very young children. This is uh, our most vulnerable. This is like four or five and under. We call them twigs. And we've had the same two people really rotate, kind of working that ministry for over a year. And... Um, we are going to help recruit people, and we will vet you, and we will take, we can train you, but um, I want you to pray along with me, and we want, help us find the right kinds of people that, that can care for these little bitty children that are not quite old enough to be in the service. But it is two different people that have really kind of done that. We want, we need others. And I'm telling you this, if you, um, if God tugs on your heart and this is an area where, where you would be open to serving, I, I would like you to tell me today on a Connect card. We also do um, elementary, which is basically beyond that to fifth grade. Um, and they go through a curriculum and we need some workers for that as well. But one of the primary things, it's twigs. It's, it's these really, really young. We are, we are, I, dreaming of kind of, of laying hands on someone who can kind of shepherd some of the teens that are coming to our church. And there are days where we have quite a bit of them. We have quite a bit of teens. And one of the things that we're envisioning is that on occasion that they could, they could come out of the service. We, we don't want to prolong adolescence. We really like that junior high and high school is with us in worship side by side, taking communion, singing songs together under the word of God, but, but on occasion, we, we would be very open and welcome them coming out just to develop community together with, with someone that could care for them and watch over them and um, even treat it almost like a branch group. And we're going to need God to provide that kind of person, that kind of shepherd, because teen years are very interesting years. And we're, we would be happy to have someone other than just ourselves and parents that would can kind of speak into their lives, that someone that we trust. We are dreaming of a room right down the hall that would be an amazing youth room where, kid, where teens could actually have like a cool hangout spot, and we're on our way. We're getting on our way, guys, where they can have a hangout spot before or after the service, and maybe during the week or for special events and different things like that. 
We need team leader for, for our website and social media. Right now, I'm the guy. And I, I was, was kind of telling one of our administrators who can just see right through my lack of administrative gift. And I, I say that I'm, an administ- I'm a functional administrator. Like, I, I can administrate to survive, but that is not the way God has wired me. So when I said that to my dear friend, she was like, who's an administrator by vocation? She's thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> Barely. Um, but we need people that have those kinds of skills that can help out. We need, we need a team leader for our, our AV. Uh, see, a team leader can oversee a particular area that just needs service, um, while people that join the team would come under their, not their care, but direction. A team leader is just going to help them know what to do and what, the, what to expect. We have a hospitality team. And you know what? We've had, we have an amazing hospitality team. But I know that they would welcome more people to serve and to help them to come along on the team and give them some rest here and there and some help. We have a, a, a guy who has, has just said yes, um, Jesus, who has said yes to um, being the team lead for grounds. Now, we have someone that mows the lawn and some different things like that. Um, but we, it's such a big property that we, are, we still need to utilize um, men and women who would be up for an occasional just gardening and just kind of help caring for the facility so that it is welcoming and inviting and looks good for the guests that we bring onto campus. We need, we're going to need people that will step up into areas of, of mercy ministry or things like Love Fullerton. Right now, my wife and I, we, like, we, have, we have a built relationships and working on relationships with people in the city, um, like people that do art walk and like people that, um, that, that actually run Love Fullerton. I know Jay, and they look favorably toward us and will give us just about anything we want to let us serve. And I'm looking for the kind of people that we can mobilize into those particular areas. My wife is um, in charge of, of ambiance, and it'll take a lot of work. A year, more than a year ago, she actually met with a, with a designer who helped think through some of those kind of major pieces, and she will, she's inviting those of you that are creative um, into that discussion to kind of help us come up with a plan to deal with some of those ambiance things. Musicians, we're going to be gathering all you musicians, and we want to find out who you are, who can sing, and who cannot, and what uh, you can actually do, and, and be a part of that. With the safety team? We're going, where we're heading is developing a safety team that just looks out for our safety in the age that we live in so that we can deal with those issues that might come up, uh, some sort of crisis. We just want to be prepared and have those kinds of people in place. So guys, what I wanted to do today was to just look into Scripture very briefly and look at the kind of servants that we see in the Bible, namely Stephen in particular to see the kind of man that he was, a servant who was willing, that knew the Bible, but humble enough to lay down his life for people who were opposing him and call us to that type of service. And I want to make you aware as the people of God that we have a lot of those needs. And today, we actually have um, a place outside where you can literally sign up to help with a particular team. You don't have to lead a team. You can, if you have an interest, we want to know. We will help you go into those particular areas because God has gifted you with particular giftings and abilities 
maybe within your own vocation, where you can help the local body function. Because just like the early apostles who said, it is not good for us to neglect the preaching of the word and prayer to wait on tables. What I'm telling you as the people of God is, it is not good. As I raise and, and lead other eldership and pastoral people, it will not be good for me to neglect those things to wait tables. And every, I, I, this is what you need to know about me. I am wired as a doer. If there is trash out there, I cannot help myself, but when I get here at 7 o'clock in the morning, to go fill up that bin. I have to, it takes everything in my being to say, I'm going to let the other people that were paying to do that stuff not do that. And one of the guys that coaches me is like, Israel, you cannot be throwing out that stuff. Or You need to work on preaching of the word. But everything in me says, I'll take out the trash. I'll do it. Just everything. I have to fight it every single day. You need to know that about me because I need your help with that. Because it is not good to neglect the preaching of the word and prayer for those other things. Let's pray. Father, we...